Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Quartz is a news organization people have liked to root for all along. And uh, I, I think part of that is we've been, tried to be open about what we know and don't know about what works in digital media. Welcome back, everybody. We're Media Voices. We take a look at all the news and the views from the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. And I'm Peter Houston. That clip you just heard was from my interview with Zach Seward, CEO of Quartz. Zach's been with the business pretty much since it started in 2012, and last year bought the company from Japanese owners, who's a base. <laughs> I asked Zach about how it all started, how it's going about memberships and advertising and the Quartz mission to make business better. That was, it was a really cool interview, I loved it. Also, don't forget that over 100 podcasts have made the shortlist for the second year of the Publisher Podcast Awards, demonstrating the resilience and the innovation of publishers in the audio space despite one of the most challenging years in recent memory. Peter, do you have a favourite category this year? It's got a big coronavirus. <laughs> it's just so weird. Well, all the winners from not just the Best Coronavirus Podcast Award, but for every single category are going to be revealed in a virtual celebration on Wednesday, the 21st of April. The Media Voices team have decided, that's us, by the way, have decided to experiment <laughs> with a pay-what-you-want ticketing model, ensuring that nobody's excluded on the basis of affordability. In addition, there are print programs and gift boxes available for UK attendees to allow them to celebrate from the safety of their own homes. I think what's really interesting about the pay-what-you-want thing is that people are paying yeah. uh, to, to, to come, and that's just brilliant. It's really nice. It's very encouraging. But before we get there, the big story this week is that the New European the pro-Europe anti-Brexit paper, which launched after, God, it was about something ridiculous, like the turnaround, yeah, you know, four years down the line. Effectively, the New European, the paper, is no longer under the aegis of Archant, which is a regional publisher in the UK. Instead, it's been bought by a consortium. Um, The consortium includes a long list of luminaries, including its current editor-in-chief, Matt Kelly, the former editor of the Financial Times, Lionel Barber, and, Peter, who else is on there? Mark Thompson. Why? Okay, so you have a point about this one. <laughs> I just think the reporting on this has been... Well, maybe this is an insider thing. He's just spent, what, five years at the New York Times, maybe longer? Yep. And the New York Times is the single biggest digital subscription success story on the planet. What? All the reporting on it is uh, Mark Thompson, former BBC guy. That's just like, What? <laughs> it's just weird. It's like you heard the story about the Titanic, and it was reported oh, yeah. by the the I don't know, it was the Aberdeen Press Journal or something. No, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, and it was like Aberdeen man's on <laughs> boat that sinks or something. I can't remember. Do you think it's a little bit of parochialism? Just because it's you know we we live in the UK, we've seen this mostly reported in UK sources. So is it just like oh well, the BBC is a bigger deal for us mentally than the NYT? Yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, as an ins- no one else probably cares. It's an insider's thing. Anyone that's working in the media will know him. I would have thought more generally from what he's done at the New York Times, rather than the fact that he was a guy that was there when the iPlayer started. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, I think that the the most pressing thing is the fact that the MIT is this biggest subscription success, and now he's kind of at least behind the idea of a subscription-based, viable new European. 
this is a great story. There's 14 investors in total. They're all like, you know, media or digital people by the looks of it. Um, and I think this has got to be really, really interesting for the new European. Oh, I mean, God, they were, yeah. Archant got bought by the venture capital company just at the end of last year, did it? Mm-hmm. My, my sense of time is just I know, yeah, it's, it's lockdown has just completely destroyed it. It's like, I'm still not sure what age I am. <laughs> Matt Kelly is the chief exec, he's the editor-in-chief, but he's also a majority shareholder. Um, and these other 14 investors all, you know, can, I, looks like they bring something to the party. That's what, this would have made a great episode of Dragon's Den, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like, well, I'll match your investment and I can bring my former experience at Skype <laughs> to the party. And oh, I can bring my fact that my family owned the independent for a while. And it's, there's just a bunch of good stories around about this. Yeah. I think more than anything else, what it demonstrates is that, you know, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago now, or years, you know, depending on how long, <laughs> how long has passed since the beginning of this interminable pandemic, um, all about how people choose to subscribe to stuff now, in part because they support its ideals and its aims. Yeah. It's effectively a flag. In fact, Matt Kelly has always said that it's kind of a, a flag to wave in defiance of Brexit. One of the things that you said about, you know, because Lionel Barber's come out and in the past and said about no we've got to get back to being you know to both sidism and then he's back this which is (laughs) absolutely not both sides no this is one side family and i think it's interesting because that he was a pretty vocal critic of brexit yeah um so it's interesting that it it has a very very strong point of view it's that it's what we've talked about this before. Jay Rosen talking about news from nowhere. Yeah, and this is definitely not news from nowhere. Um, I, I guess I you know I don't know what's the campaigning aspect of this now. Yeah, Brexit. I is think the date it's oh, done. On. You know, I mean, it's not done. It'll never be done. But the the age when you know resistance could actually affect anything major, it has passed. Mm-hmm. I think the danger is it becomes a kind of told you so situation. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're sort of aware of that because recently they've they've transitioned towards celebrating European culture and telling the stories of Europe itself. I've just remembered something a couple of years ago now. Uh, Matt Kelly was talking about the new European in its future and he was saying that effectively he wanted it to transition to being much more of a sort of magazine-style read. So the fact that they now... The investment per issue is going to double on the back of this I can't see any other way than them actually now immediately transitioning to doing that longer form features, much more of a sort of like prestige format for these stories. Um, I saw something the other day, uh, I don't know whether it's true or not true, but it was an interesting opinion that people are just so sick of Brexit that the the people who are pretty pro-Remain are just like, oh God, I can't be arsed anymore. Um, And to cut through, they are going to need something that's you know, more positive, more pro-European, accepts Britain's position. I don't know. It's an interesting one. It definitely is. But yeah, turning it into a good publication rather than just um, a good cause is going to be the issue for that one. I mean, the, the subscription base, or not subscription, the circulation base isn't bad. It's like... Yeah, I mean, I, I misspoke before. So 20, the circulation is 20,000 and they have 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. And the digital, you know, they've got a million page views going on or visit I think See, in fact from the Guardian article which we're sort of we'll link to in the newsletter the it says the magazine's production budget of 6,500 an issue which it's always punched up its weight that is a small production budget 
will immediately rise by 50%. The BBC's report said the new business will also take on responsibility for the publication's back office costs. Uh, It's expecting to lose money in 2021, but projected to return to profit next year. We shall watch with interest. Certainly will. Uh, We should get Mark on again. Yeah, definitely. See if we can... uh, I'll I'll ask if he wants to come on and chat about the new plans. Probably busy at the minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should get Mark Thompson on. We should get Mark Thompson, yeah. Ask him about the (laughs) iPlayer. He's got to have a perspective on that. (laughs) Not the fact that he's taken the New York Times to (laughs) 6 million subscribers. Oh, God. And now onto the news in brief, and we're beginning with a sad story. The Overtake has closed. The Overtake was um, a... I mean, it was set up with the idea to tell national stories, but through a non-London lens. Um, its editor, Robin Vinter, has a previous has previously appeared on Media Voices to talk about that mission. And I'm just, I'm really sad to see it go. Ultimately, what did it in was the growth in subscriptions, the growth in sponsorship was too slow, ultimately, to justify its continued existence. Um, I think what was really heartening, actually, from from reading Robin's final post about this was she thinks that anybody who tries something similar now is in a much stronger position than the overtake was when it began. So mm-hmm. she's basically saying, this isn't the end of the idea of independent um, national news, but you know, told for non-London audiences or told... You know, without that kind of distorting effect of the London lens. They were up here, weren't they? Like they were, yeah. They were they were based sort yeah. of in and around Leeds. Leeds, yeah. Yes. Slightly better news. Growth has finally returned to the podcast industry with ad spend up eleven percent, and Spotify is crediting its investment in podcasts for twenty four percent growth in subscribers. Uh, I I think this this story. I I talked to Jez, uh, uh, what's new publishing about this story. And, I think this only tells part of the story. It's because it's these are all big advertisers that they talk about in this story. But I think there's a lot going on. You know, from our own experience, there's a lot going on with just direct sold ads yeah. in podcasting. So I think that's a good story overall. Yeah, definitely. Yay, podcasts! <laughs> and we've spoken about this uh, when we were talking about the New European, but the New York Times has 7.5 million subscribers now with ad revenue. Oh, despite ad revenue slipping further, um, so this this is a perennial discussion that comes up. But Josh Sternberg has asked if this is potentially a problem. Will readers start to now dictate coverage, not just in terms of what gets covered, but its tone? Yeah, so I, it is interesting. But is is the idea then that any subscription based news outlet is kind of beholden to cover? What its audience demands are the are those subscribers now the paymaster or are they paying for a service? I think that I mean it's interesting because Zach Seward talked about this in the interview in a minute. Um, that idea of what is your mission, and I think if you subscribe to something, you're subscribing because they've stuck to their mission. I don't. I th- I think this is a slightly. I was going to use. I was going to say naive. That's not fair, um, but it's a, it's a slightly narrow look at the subscription yeah. problem. You know, subs- the subscription magazines that have existed for decades that um, have not allowed the readers to to shape their coverage. They've still had editorial independence, but it does change when you start to have seven and a half <laughs> million. I, I mean, it's the idea that. 
you know you need that clear delineation between what is news and opinion and if it's opinion it's if it's a contributed uh, piece it has to stand up you know it should be judged on its own merits and you sort of say we're just giving space for this we're not actually endorsing the views whole other kind of worms that one <laughs> what's news and what's opinion well Man, people, uh, would, would people mind a two and a half hour podcast this week i don't know i don't know to okay. esther come back Google thinks it might have found a replacement for third-party cookies. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Definitely bring back Esther, all is forgiven. Um, this thing's, this technology is called Flocks, which is just, it's a headline writer's dream. <laughs> uh, this thing creates, through the Chrome browser, creates anonymous cohorts of users um, and then uses that data to target ads. And... It's given advertisers about 95% of the conversions that cookies would give them. So I don't know if this will actually become a thing. I mean, the problem, with, the issue with third-party cookies is the standard. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be universal, right? It's got to, well, if not universal, it's got to at least be compatible. Thank Flock. <laughs> um, Google's also trialling a new platform in Australia, which is designed to showcase the news it's paying for. Uh, it's similar to its news showcase platform in Germany and Brazil, and pretty much it's designed to dampen that enthusiasm for regulation. It's effectively a way to get around uh, being forced to pay for all news by giving you know, preferential payment to its publishing partners. <laughs> I can't even on this one anymore. <laughs> I just don't know how this is going but to this, what the, the next one we've spoken about a lot. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a story that just will not die. Yeah. So in the US, there's a collection of local newspapers piggybacking on lawsuits against the duopoly Facebook and and Google, basically challenging them or accusing them of killing local news again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, 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 the Washington like Post story, yeah, I know. The Washington Post story kind of frames it in a really weird way um, because it's it's effectively doing a piece of alternate history uh, to begin with. It's saying, what if local news had actually found a way to do what Google and Facebook do in reaching audiences and serving advertisers online? And you go, well, that's completely irrelevant because they haven't, they didn't, and now this kind of this this false analogy is that Google and Facebook have stolen something, but it never belonged to publishers inherently anyway. It's it's that same old story. So they've done like a man in the high castle treatment yes. for, for the duopoly. Exactly. And URL Media is launching to help sustain high-performing black and brown media organisations. Uh, there's a really, really fantastic quote in here, basically saying, we don't want the next four years to look like the last four or 400. This is a good story. It's, it is a good story. Basically... Uh... There's a kind of collective aspect to it coming together to help distribute content and support these networks. Okay, Chris, you ready? (laughs) Apparently, this is sad news for you, I know. This is very sad. Sad and shocking. Apparently your favourite newspaper editor... You used the term loosely. (laughs) ...is to depart his role to go and work in a bank. God, that's that's so explicit. There's a cashier or something, do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so George Osborne is leaving the evening standards uh, to go and work for an investment bank. One day somebody's going to jot all this down on a timeline and it's going to be like, Labadeva points, George Osborne, 
previous Chancellor of the Exchequer as Editor-in-Chief. Osborne tanks the finances of the paper. <laughs> Lebedev gets his peerage. Osborne departs. It's just too blatant. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, bonkers, to be honest. Yeah. But I'm just glad that he's got a job. You know, oh, yeah. Well, I'm just glad that he's got a job instead of the <laughs> seven or eight he was doing at the same time as the editorship. Uh, and whatever he was doing when he was Chancellor of the <laughs> This week I spoke to Zach Seward, CEO of Quartz, about the relationship between content and product development and revenue, and the Quartz mantra to make business better. But first I asked Zach about starting out with Quartz back in 2012. I, uh, I was working at the Wall Street Journal uh, as uh, the newspaper's uh, first social media editor and doing some some work uh, with the product teams uh, at Dow Jones. Um, when my boss uh, at the time, Kevin Delaney, got hired uh-huh. to start a new business news outlet for Atlantic Media. And that was about as much definition as there was. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Kevin's uh, great boss. I kind of realized that an opportunity like that wouldn't come around t- terribly often in my career. And so I followed, ended up following him out the door um, to go do that. And that was t- early 2012. And we had this mad dash of a few months uh, to figure out everything from you know what we're going to call this new news organization get everybody hired build a website and email to launch and uh, and ultimately get the thing off the ground when we uh, launched in late September of uh, of 2012 where did the name quartz come from <laughs> it's uh, so quartz is the second most abundant mineral on earth and plays an important role in the shifting of tectonic plates and so mm-hmm. metaphorically a quartz uh, quartz covers those like important shifts in the global economy so it fit fit nicely there but you know to be perfectly honest the most important uh, factor in choosing a name was to be unlike all of our peers in business news, which yeah. when you come to think of it, have fairly traditional uh, names of the Wall Street Journal, Investors yeah. Business Daily, the Financial Times. You know, uh, we were going to call courts originally, it was going to be called The Atlas. Uh, and you tell people that quietly, like, you know, oh, d- don't tell anyone yet, but it's, uh, we're thinking about calling calling this thing The Atlas. And without fail, they'd react, oh, that's that's exactly what I would expect a global business news outlet uh, to, be, to be called. And like the 10th time somebody told us that, we knew we had a problem because everything else we were saying about what we were trying to do was reinvent uh, our, our approach to business journalism and take a different approach than a lot of our you know incumbent uh, competitors were doing and so to come out with a name that uh, that that fit that same traditional mode uh, seemed like a mistake so we went back to the drawing board and there's a longer story to how we got to court specifically but uh, but that's that, that's what motivated uh, a more unusual name for the for the news outlet. So once you launched, Quartz was very well received. What was it that the audience really took to? Yeah, I, th- I think Quartz is a news organization people have liked to root for all along. And yeah. uh, I, I think part of that is we've tried to be open about what we know and don't know about what works in digital media. And we said on day one, we expected that you know consumer habits and the industry writ large would be rapidly changing. And we wanted to set Quartz up to be ready to 
adapt to all those changes um, as we went. And, you know, that's a fun and and be open about what we were thinking and and doing along the way. And I think that's just a fun way to approach things. And that openness has probably uh, helped with uh, the reception of courts. And, you know, we've, we've been lucky to have a lot of great people come through uh, our doors with creative ideas for journalism that seemed to have resonated, you know, more broadly and, and helped, as you said, you know, kind of quickly establish our, our reputation. Yeah. I mean, we used to talk about you as our, our media crush. We always thought <laughs> you got yeah, everything you did, we were watching, oh, uh, but nice. that, you know, that support that you had uh, and still have, you still had a rough couple of years. Uh, revenue was tough in 2018, 2019. And then we had this pandemic and last year you had a bunch of layoffs, um, I guess almost half your staff. Um, but now you're a startup again. Uh, you bought the, the business. What's your big challenge? Yeah, so just, just to very quickly review the, the corporate ownership, uh, Atlantic Media owned us for the first six years of our existence and uh, and then sold Quartz uh, in 2018 to Usabase, uh, which is a publicly traded Japanese media company. And they owned us for about two years before uh, deciding to put Quartz uh, back up for sale. And um, in the middle of that process, I, I raised my hand and said, well, would you consider a, a management buyout of yeah. the company? And, and obviously, as you just said, that, that that's what's happened. So in, so in November of 2020, at, at the end of you know, as you said, what what was an extremely difficult year for well for everyone on the planet, uh, and certainly for for our our industry and digital media, um, we were able to to buy back Quartz and become a, a startup again, um, and it, it that that's been a a galvanizing moment for us in, internally, and we're trying to you know make. Uh, make use of that um, to focus on what we know Quartz does best and um, uh, take take the company into the next era. So your revenue going forward is going to be both advertising, sponsorship, and membership revenues. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. I mean, as you were saying before, advertising got, has been really challenged across the industry uh, over the last few years and and when the pandemic struck uh, last year when it when it you know struck hardest in in Europe and US at least it uh, you know we took a, a big hit right away fortunately things have recovered really nicely um, but that uh, but, but that certainly was you know had a really dramatic effect on our our revenue early last year um, as a result I think we're more, we're likely to get to parity in the subscription and advertising businesses faster than we even expected uh, we would when we launched the subscription business. But that that's still a gradual process. I, I don't expect it to be at 50-50 mm. for another four or five years. Um, you know, they're, they're very different businesses. The subscription business, yeah. you know, benefits from slow and steady buildup, which we've been fortunate uh, amid all the other craziness we're talking about. <laughs> the one consistent uh, positive uh, uh, performance has, has been in our subscription business, which, you know, doubled over that last year and, um, you know, is, is, now, is now in a place where, you know, it's driving significant revenue for us, but but still a minority of our, of our, of our business advertising is still, still much larger. Do you have a, I mean, if you had to describe your advertising sales strategy, how would you describe it? Collaborating with, with brands to 
create content that resonates with our audience. So, so you know, we were early uh, in our industry to embrace sponsor content um, and, and, you know, help define that uh, that area. And it's remained the bread and butter of our of our business uh, ever since. The, the nature of the content has changed a lot over the years. You know, there was a period when everybody wanted the flashiest, uh, you know, possible interactive uh, from us or things like that. These days, what we see is a lot of our clients have invested in their own content creation and building newsrooms, uh, uh, you know, internally, which is, a, to my mind, a positive development and a sign that they are taking co- brand content really seriously. And then what they're coming to us for uh, there's a variety of things to help make that work more effective. So uh, they work with us to run surveys of our audience to help inform their marketing strategy. Or maybe they've produced a really great white paper, um, but work with us to transform that white paper into a piece of content that you know fits our you know what we know our audience's desire and how they consume uh, content, et cetera, uh, and then. Of course, to give them to provide uh, insights back to our clients about about how our audience is consuming that content to help inform their marketing strategies uh, in the future. You know, there's no one, you know, no two advertising deals that we do are identical, but the commonality tends to be that there's some form of content uh, in 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 the in the work we do, and that that's been true uh, all along, despite everything else that's that's changed. We could spend the rest of this call talking about your membership strategy and how you're going to grow that. But is there sure. one thing that you're kind of focused on? Well, so we launched uh, the membership offering two years ago. Um, and as I was say, saying earlier, you know, it's it's grown nice and, and steadily uh, since. And, and that, that's been a really positive development for us. It's forced us to focus on making sure we're being maximally useful to our audience uh, and being clear uh, about what they're signing up for. So uh, it was no coincidence when we announced the management buyout, of Quartz in November that we also rolled out a, a new tagline and, and mission for Quartz, which is that you know, Quartz's mission is to make business better. You know, mm-hmm. We believe that companies should solve real problems without creating new ones that that they have a that corporations have a responsibility to focus on uh, equitable and sustainable forms of of capitalism and uh, that there's a desperate need to rethink a lot of the fundamental ways in which business is conducted that's a perspective that courts has had i'd say from day 1 mm-hmm. um, but we haven't uh, gone out and and made it our explicit mission of the news organization until now. And I, I thought we all thought that was crucial to do in the in, in this membership era when you know when when you're signing you know pulling out your wallet to uh, yeah. give give money to a news organization. And a lot of that is about you know signing up for that organization's mission uh and uh we need to be clear about what that what that mission is for courts i think that mantra sort of make business better chimes with something i've read uh that catherine bell 
your editor-in-chief and, and now, I guess, business partner. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote before in criticizing the media for being part of the system that mm-hmm. we report on. As a startup, again, are you outside that or, or are you still <laughs> part of it? And if, if you're still part of it, how do you mitigate that? Yeah, good. That's a great question. I would say we 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 are absolutely still part of the system that that Catherine was talking about in this, this essay that she wrote, trying to define progressive business journalism, which is you know shorthand for for how we approach our coverage. And if for listeners out there, if you haven't read it, I, uh, just Google progressive business journalism. Um, it, it's it's a really great essay, and I, I think you know I don't want to speak for Catherine, but uh, the way I interpret what she was. Uh, saying there, we will always be part of the system. There is no escaping the system uh, when it comes to, to capitalism. Uh, but a smarter form of business journalism starts by recognizing that fact uh, and incorporating it into uh, into our coverage. So I, I do think for sure there there's some advantages to being independent as opposed to, say, part of a, a publicly traded uh, company. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that we're still a for-profit corporation uh, trying to make the business model for digital media work in a sustainable way. Uh, and that, that will always be the case regardless of our, our corporate parenthood. How, how do you feel about initiatives like the one that was just announced by Anderson Horowitz when they're going to publish their own stuff? Yeah, that, that was interesting to see. I, I, my feeling is that the reaction to that particular announcement was a little overblown yeah. in the sense that like, Plenty of venture capital firms and companies writ large, you know, have long been investing in what is essentially brand marketing, and and the smarter companies do brand marketing in a way that isn't just like writing about how great they are, but writing about the field that they're in, and so that uh, A16Z would would be uh, investing in coverage of the technology industry isn't terribly surprising. Strikes me as smart. Um, but to be clear, I would wouldn't consider that to be journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it it could be great. I hope they produce you know really interesting uh, coverage. Sounds like they're trying to provide a counterpoint in their mind to some of the uh, more negative coverage of Silicon Valley. Um, as long as we are you know as long as people read that what they produce with the you know obvious conflicts that that the uh, VC firm brings uh, to the table in mind i think it's it, more is better uh, but i i don't i don't view it as some like big new trend uh, i think it's it's part and parcel with something that's been happening for for a while now yeah the reaction was pretty visceral i mean and it's interesting because when facebook i don't know do you remember facebook did that print magazine and everyone got really excited about it and, <laughs> and it's just exactly the same thing as that i guess it was bizarre. Yeah. yeah, I don't uh, even remember that. So I guess it goes to show, yeah. right? Well, yeah, I think it's. Well, look, I think that tells a tale. <laughs> well, look, I mean, there, something. There's a real imbalance in the uh, discussion about uh, so-called tech versus media, right? So, like, the, it, to the extent the tech industry views uh, journalists these days as, 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 as "quote unquote" out to get them, um, that that's really absurd and a, and a misreading of of the purpose of journalism. To, to hold, which is more to hold those tech companies accountable. So um, the imbalance seems like if it, to the extent that uh, tech companies or VC firms think that they can uh, meet that skepticism with 
you know, like a counterpoint, like like as though it's like a, a, a high school debate tournament with one, with two sides is a little absurd. Um, but I think I think most readers can can understand that and read both and get different things out of uh, you know what they're against, uh, what they're getting from their journalism is different from what they're getting from their favorite venture capital firm. <laughs> Does anyone got a favorite venture capital firm? <laughs> yeah. um, on your Twitter bio, you describe journalism as a service. How, how would you like your members to describe the service that Quartz provides? The service that Quartz provides is to help them understand the global economy. And, and in particular, we're really good at making connections between two industries or different locations in the world. Like when we survey our readers, what they say, that, that's the kind of thing they say back to us is the most valuable service we provide. You know, they might be in the finance industry and look to us for like really smart coverage of the esports industry because they're, there's, they're making a connection, you know, in this new, between what's going on in this one new industry that they can bring back and, uh, uh, you know, inform their work in their own uh, in their own industry. So drawing those, those unexpected connections tends to be, I think, like the court specialty, uh, and, and ultimately what drives, uh, the service we're providing of, of helping provide a greater understanding of, of the global economy. Focus of that is the content you do, but also the way you present that content. And you, sure. you started as a journalist, but had a real focus on product development, especially in the early days at Quartz. Now, I guess you're spending all your time worrying about the commercial aspects of the operation. So you've got those kind mm-hmm. of three, three aspects to your career with Quartz. But how do these roles fit together? Well, I, I, when when we're doing it well, they blend together to a large extent, you know, I, I, in particular, I think about, um, you know, the first two roles you mentioned was a journalist and then as a quote unquote product person, you know, uh, in a news organization, the product is the journalism. And I think a reason courts has had, you know, real strength in product development over the years is that we think that way. Um, that we've structured product to be really like closely linked with the newsroom, um, and that we build when we build editorial products, we do it in conjunction between our product team and our journalists. Uh, you know, some of the products we're we're best known for the chat app, um, the Quartz mm-hmm. Weekly Obsession email. These these all have really novel. Uh, designs, so the, the UX of uh, um, of the of those products, you know, were were brand new or more or less when when they when they came out, um, and the novelty is you know helps get attention maybe, but uh, they'd be nothing without great writing, and 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 more so more to the point, you you can't even des- effectively design a product without uh, like that without the without doing it in conjunction with writers who are testing out different ways of approaching it. We're, we're working on a, a, a big new uh, product feature now that I'm excited about. It haven't, haven't yet released. And, and, you know, same thing where there, there's a, there's a product concept, but uh, the next step after that is not to go build it. Uh, it's to start writing and see whether we can, um, we could, whether the form is is in fact right for the kind of journalistic work we're trying to uh, to do, and I think that's 
to be honest, the, the secret sauce of making great editorial products is to have those two things be as closely linked uh, as possible. And I've tried to you know, maintain that in my various different hybrid roles at, at courts over the years. And then do you think the money follows that great content, great UX? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it, it, uh, it really depends on the context, right? Uh, um, so some of, some of what we do uh, is uh, in the service of making experience of reading courts you know, as great as possible. And then no doubt that that, um, you know, directly serves uh, our readers and in particular our members um, and, and increases their willingness uh, to pay if we're fitting into their lives in the, in the you know, the best way possible. Um, it, it has also served our, our advertising business, I think, and, you know, to the extent that uh, brands look to courts for inspiration and in developing kinds of products that our, our clients also want to be producing for their own uh, audiences, and so we've had a lot of great collaborations with with brands uh, along along those lines, and uh, and you know, and then it also has led to more traditional sponsorships where um, you know the uh, we we get a lot of demand for running the sponsorships alongside our hottest new new product offerings, mm-hmm. and that, of course that you know that that's always great to see. Yeah. Uh, we have a final question for all our guests. We ask them for a recommendation for our audience, uh, a book, a podcast, a feature, whatever it is that they've loved recently. What would you recommend for our audience? Well, I'll cheat, and, uh, if you don't mind, and, and have two answers uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to that. So um, is it TV show my wife and I recently got into, uh, I'd recommend to, to anybody, a, a French comedy or or. or maybe dramedy um, called uh, Call My Agent. Um, I think in, in French, in the original French, the, the title is 10%, you know, the, the, uh, referring to the cut that agents take. But anyway, right. it's this great sh- uh, comedy about a, a four-person talent agency in Paris. Um, they're, the fourth season just uh, just arrived on Netflix. We actually haven't watched the fourth season, but, the first, but start from the beginning uh, if you're interested. The first three are great. It's just a really humanize it. I mean, French television doesn't have a great reputation for one, and this is a great French TV show. So that alone, it makes it notable. And I, uh, it's just uh, some great characters, a, a, a humanizing approach to an, in, to an industry Hollywood that doesn't, doesn't usually uh, get that kind of treatment. Um, and more to the point, just very funny. Uh, so I'd recommend it to, to, to anybody. Um, but then, uh, with apologies for cheating, uh, the, you know, the other thing that's been on my mind lately is, you know, what uh, what are the important trends in in the media industry right now? And and one really notable one, I think, is the creation of uh, collectives of writers. So two that I, um, you know, that I'm really excited about recently are uh, one called uh, Brick House, um, which uh, recently launched in, in the in the U.S. is a sort of loosely coupled group of sites, you know, that, that have gone in together to 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 offer a joint subscription uh, to support uh, their work, but otherwise uh, remain independent uh, publishers on their own that have just like. In, you know, created a partnership together with a pretty unique structure that um, I won't attempt to explain here, but is, uh, um, but but yeah, I haven't seen uh, before, and I'm rooting for their success. Um, and just the other day, uh, there was a, a, a launch or relaunch of uh, what they're calling Every, 
which is a, a competitor to Quartz so in the sense that they cover business uh, or they do business analysis. And there too, they've structured it as a, 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 collab, a, a collective of different writers and publications um, who are, you know, joining together to do a bundled subscription, but otherwise remaining um, independent. And I, I think that's really interesting. I don't know whether that model will uh, succeed or not, but I, I love that people are trying it because uh, we need more and different uh, models for, for digital journalism, not fewer. And that, that's the most exciting uh, new development I've, I've seen in the last few months. So thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Media Voices. Please do tell anyone who you think might like a weekly news media roundup to listen to. And do head over to our Ko-Fi page, which is co-fi.com slash media voices, if you want to throw us some money to help cover our operating costs. And if you're desperate for more Media Voices content, go to our website, voices.media. You can sign up there for our daily newsletter. It contains four of the most important media stories of the day, as curated by us and a link to the latest episode. You can also head along to publisherpodcastawards.com to check out the shortlist for our 2021 Publisher Podcast Awards, including Best Podcast Launch, Best Coronavirus Podcast, and a raft of other interesting categories as well. Uh, while you're there, you can check out our new Pay What You Will ticketing system. We're effectively betting that people will choose to support us in the podcast industry in general by paying money to attend this virtual ceremony because they believe in our mission so until next week when we'll be back again with fantastic guests and a look through all the news and views in the media world thank you very very much for listening to media voices and stay safe bye